1 Samuel 28, then we will skip to 1 Samuel 31 to finish the story. It's actually one story, and it will wrap up our time in 1 Samuel. Lord willing, we will finish this beautiful book tonight. So as you're making your way there, I was reminded that I did miss one announcement. We are looking for help on Wednesday night for hospitality. Uh, You do not have to serve every week, but uh, you can serve twice a month or once a month or every week if you'd like. But uh, we we do have... We do have need. It's setting up the coffee and the tea and uh, the the refreshments and all of that and breaking down at the end. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you're open to it, the Lord touches your heart, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. So on your way out, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and let's just pause right now. Just kidding. (laughs) I I was just going to create an atmosphere where he could do that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we just like to acknowledge your presence and what Jesus taught us, that apart from him, we could do nothing. And so, uh, especially in matters that uh, involve spiritually discerning truths from God in our natural selves, of, apart from you, we, we just we can't do it, so we, we just ask for your, your help, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding uh, to hear your still small voice tonight, you, you're, you've got a message for us. Help us to get it, put it into practice, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I have mentioned, we will finish the Old Testament book of First Samuel uh, this evening. What a wonderful book filled with practical wisdom. And it's many people's favorite book in the Old Testament. Uh, two lives, really three, including Samuel, but two lives of two great men uh, really unfold. And we have found that they are intertwined. So much so that tonight, to finish the story, we're lifting out... One story from another, David's life from Saul's life. And we'll finish up with Saul. We finished up last week with David, and David finished up at the end of 1 Samuel very well. You know, he's, in, he's made some missteps, but by and large, he has the wisdom of the Lord. He loves God. He walks with God in faith. And now the Lord has restored uh, some of the things that he lost there, and he's in full possession of his family, all all of his stuff, and all of the uh, things that the locust had destroyed, the Lord had restored now. Now, uh, really, 1 Sam is about the rising of David's life and the blessing and honor of David and also the, the downfall of Saul's life and really the difference between the two lives. And it's a beautiful study in how to avoid uh, ending up like Saul, uh, full of potential, full of attraction and charisma and calling, but short-circuited and forfeited his full blessing in Christ because of his disobedience and his unbelief. And David, just the opposite, because of his faith. Like I said, he makes a lot of mistakes, but he he keeps getting up. You know that proverb that says, the righteous fall seven times, but they get up. He gets up because he loves the Lord. He has a relationship with the Lord. So tonight, uh, 
the fi- final battle here, Saul's life is going to end, and really, in a sense, David's life is going to begin because for the last 10 years, uh, Saul has been persecuting David, not allowing David to uh, become the man that he's supposed to be as king of Israel. So here's the context now. Uh, the enemy Philistines are amassing at the borders by the thousands, and King Saul is panicked. And desperation, as it often does, will reveal his heart. And in this case, we will see that his heart is really far from God and very hard and uh, very sad. So we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 3. We'll go 3 to 7 and begin. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah, Chapter 28 and verse 3. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. So let's stop there. First point would be Saul seeks a psychic. Saul seeks a psychic. And don't try to say that seven times fast. Now, desperate times, as they say, call for desperate measures. And so these are desperate times for Saul. In verse 3, we see the ruthless, powerful enemy oppressors. The Philistines are amassing by the thousands. And we know that because of chapter 29. There are thousands of them. Israel is outnumbered. They're just swarms like locusts, just piling up on the borders, ready to sweep in and destroy. Israel is also outgunned. The Philistines are famous for their chariots, their war chariots. Israel doesn't have any of those. And also, you remember back in chapter 13, another disadvantage Israel has, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So they were outmanned and outgunned. And uh, on top of all of this, Saul knows that David had joined the Philistines. There are two things that, that Saul fears and hates. David, king-elect, and the Philistines. And now they have joined forces in his mind, at least. I think he's having a Job 3 and verse 25 moment. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. And so now on top of all of this, we're reminded that Samuel's gone. We already knew that back in chapter 25. But it's just to emphasize that there's a spiritual vacuum and that um, Samuel was Saul's go-to guy. Now, he didn't listen to what Samuel had to say when Saul went to him. Uh, But back in the early days, he really loved Samuel. But then uh, things went sour, 
And Samuel's messages to him were always very harsh and very uh, straightforward, but he wouldn't listen to him. Um, verse 5, we, uh, he sees the army and he's terrorized. It says his heart was filled with quaking in the Hebrews trembling. Now, he inquires of the Lord, which sounds like a good thing, right? Uh, but he gets a busy signal. So apparently there is a problem somewhere. So let's figure this out. There's a difference between David inquiring of the Lord, which we saw last week, and Saul inquiring of the Lord. David has a relationship with God. He has faith. And it's evidenced by obedience. Jesus says, he who loves me obeys what I command. That just is always the proof positive that somebody knows the Lord. If we say we know him, yet we do not keep his commands, we lie and do not practice the truth, First John. And so uh, Saul does not evidence this relationship. He's simply inquiring of the Lord to get out of trouble. He has spent years just spiritually neglecting uh, the spiritual disciplines of knowing the Lord, living in rebellion and obstinance. Uh, now, one writer said, rather than inquiring of the Lord how to save his behind, he should have been inquiring of the Lord how to save his soul. Now, a little, um, you get the point? Good, we'll, we'll move on. Now, Saul could have gotten an answer. Well, that's all Saul wanted. He's in crisis. It's crisis Christianity. You know, when I'm in trouble, then I'm on my knees and I'm praying and I'm opening the Bible and I even uh, go to church or give in the offering or help out on Wednesday nights in hospitality. <laughs> Whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> but that's, uh, that's where it stops, you see. That's where it stops. So now Saul could have got an answer um, if he just would have simply repented and stepped down. He knows full well what's getting in the way and what's disconnecting him from hearing from God. He knows full well. It's come out of his own mouth there. I know, David, that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Chapter 24 and verse 20. He knows... And yet he's inquiring of the Lord with his royal, royal robes still on. Come on, Saul. You think he's going to answer you? He's asked you. He's showed you stuff already. You don't regard that as valuable. You don't put it into practice. And you want him to continue to talk to you? Now, uh, during the kids' growing up years, uh, one of the boys, and I don't remember which one, had trash duty one week and had neglected it. I don't know why. It's so much fun to take the garbage out. But <laughs> instead of me doing it as it was piling up, I just let it overflow in the kitchen. Now, many exhortations later, still nothing happened, and it was becoming like a nice little landfill in the corner of the kitchen. One evening, we were both sitting by the landfill, and 
he asked me about a fun event that was going to take place the very next day in full view of the overflowing trash. And I smiled, and we're both looking at the trash, and I say, why don't you take out the trash, come on back, and sit down, and then we'll talk about tomorrow. Now, until we take out the trash, until we obey what's already been revealed, oftentimes God doesn't seem obligated to continue giving out information and direction when the information and direction he's already given is disregarded. So when we go ahead and do what he's asked us to do and that we know we should be doing it, then the way is open for him to communicate with us and for us to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Well, no wonder God's quiet, you know, and he's tried three attempts. Uh, Saul tries here in the verses in your text a few usual ways that men in the Old Testament could hear from the Lord. He's hoping there in the text for a prophetic dream of some kind, but he goes to bed hoping for a dream he wakes up at nothing then he's consulted the urim which is one of those stones in the pouch of the high priest ephod right and and uh that doesn't work you know why because the ephod is with david and he's had somebody create a new one for him now that doesn't work so so that's out and, and then none of the prophets could help either. You know why? Because he murdered most of them back in chapter 22. That, that would be the problem. And have we, have, we heard, have we heard an I'm sorry for 85 priests of the Lord who wore the linen ephod? It says he slaughtered them. Not only did he slaughter them, he slaughtered their wives, their children, and their infants, in the text, infants, babies, their livestock, and burned the priests of the Lord's homes to the ground. Why? Because they liked David better than they liked him. That could be one reason why the Lord isn't on speaking terms with him. Okay, so what does he do? He says, fine, be that way, God. I'll get to Samuel. I have ways to get around you and your laws. So desperate measures now. In verse 3, we're informed that Saul had in previous days had enforced the word of God and deported and cracked down on the mediums and the spiritists. Uh, we would call them psychics today. It's the same exact thing. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Lord says this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example... Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or contact the spirits of the dead. This is the word of the Lord. It was a capital offense to be involved in sorcery um, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a sorcerer who does all of these things. And here's what the Bible says about sorcerers. Exodus 22 and verse 18. 
Do not allow a sorcerer to live. That's Old Testament. Uh, the word for medium is ov in the Hebrew. And it really uh, is about the sound. It means mumbling. So it was the sound produced by somebody who was supposedly channeling a spirit. And so ov in the Hebrew goes to the, the, the sound. Uh, English, the medium, goes to the function, channeling the medium, the in-between person. And so, uh, like the Pharisees, Saul had done a good thing. He, he threw them all out of the country. Uh, the Pharisees who come later, uh, they didn't oppose enforcing God's laws or, uh, uh, and other laws, but he, uh, this guy Saul, he just uh, didn't embrace them himself. So Saul, Saul is all about image. So he wants to appear zealous for the Lord so that you would hear that he kicked out all the fortune tellers. Oh, Saul is zealous for the Lord. But we know that he really isn't because he's going to go to one now. So we already know that it's all a show. Saul is very interested in image and popularity. So he makes decisions in light of what you will think about him. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 says that these types of people have a form or an appearance of godliness, but they lack the power or the transformative substance inside which makes somebody godly because the Holy Spirit uh, lives there. Uh, so informed of Saul's previous, we're in, informed of Saul's previous actions to ban psychics to show us that it was all a show since he's going to one. And also that how low Saul will go, it's not a sin of ignorance because he knows. Now, uh, you know, this famous line that Samuel uh, speaks to him in back in chapter 15 and verse 23, when he says, you know what? You didn't obey. The Lord said, wipe the Amalekites out. You, you stopped short, and you know what? You, you say you wanted to uh, sacrifice some of the sheep unto the Lord. You know what? Uh, which does the Lord prefer, burnt offerings or obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice. And then the random line for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And I've always said, that, what? What is it doing in there? It's just kind of random. And then when I read where he goes, that it's just a prophetic little word to let the guy know at the end of your life, you know, does it ring any bells that you're finishing your life in the same way that was the first misstep that brought you down? And so he's going to remember by the Holy Spirit, this is what got me into trouble in the first place. This going to this woman, this, this psychic, is just the rebellious heart that I had in the beginning. And so he's going to end the way he started, and that's really a nice little tie back to what's going on. Now, desperate times do call for desperate measures, but for unbelievers, those measures always disregard God's moral laws. And God's will. So because you're feeling desperate, you're going to say, well, in this case, I just had to cheat. Oh, I really just, I just really had to because the desperate times call for desperate measures. So I had to take what didn't belong to me. 
or I had to slander, or I had to gossip, or I had to lie, because desperate times call for death. Well, that's, that's Saul, and everybody who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. Instead, desperate times calling for desperate measures for believers, increased prayer, getting people to pray with you, increasing service, dying to self, fasting, Repentance, desperate times calling for desperate uh, measures. We have a way to do that, and unbelievers have a way to do that as well. So Saul says to himself, I'm desperate. Let's do it the way the world. And so he says to the advisors, find a woman who's a psychic so I can go and ask her what to do. And his advisors reply, well, there's a fortune teller in the town of Endor. So let's check out verses 8 through 14. So Saul disguises himself, putting on other clothes other than his royal robes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life? To bring about my death. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives. You will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked. Well whom shall I bring up for you? (laughs) Bring up Samuel. He said. When the woman saw Samuel. She cried out at the top of her voice. And said to Saul. Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her. Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So number one was Saul seeks a psychic. And now, number two, who raises Samuel, or so it seems. So... One of the more intriguing little stories in the Old Testament, perhaps in the Bible, we're going to take a look at this now. So laying aside his royal robes, which give evidence to his identity, Saul finds the psychic he's looking for and resorts to forbidden practice to get information that he thinks he needs. And so first, I just want you to notice what I noticed Uh, When you want to do the wrong thing and you set your heart on evil, it's never very hard to find a willing participant or the opportunity to get what your evil heart wants. Never hard. Oh, you never have to look hard. I I mean, seriously, the devil makes house calls. I mean, he he knows exactly where your weakness is. He's looking all the time, prowling about, as 1 Peter chapter 5 says, seeking somebody to devour. And so it's not very hard. You know, Jonah found that out. The Lord said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so he goes down to the port and he just happens to find a ship going the exact opposite direction. I have a slide for you. Okay, it's it's just Jonah moment. All right. See Joppa? <laughs> He's going to go to Tarshish. Nineveh's the other direction. But I, I, I just want you to know that there'll always be 
a boat ready for you to go in the exact opposite of where the Lord is asking you to go. You don't have to look. It just says he goes down to the port, and lo and behold, there it is. He pays the fare. Hey, anybody want to go to Tarshish? They called it the end of the world because it was like as far as they traveled in those days. And so anybody, hey, we just happen to be going in the end of the world. <laughs> I'll buy one of those tickets, you know. See, this is a... Where is this witch? Thank you for, for, for the little graphic there. Listen, where, where does she live? Five miles. Five miles from here to Costco. But I thought you banned everybody. I thought you kicked them out of the country. Well, I did. What are the odds that the one that didn't get kicked out is just five miles down the road? And how do they all know about her? Hey, anybody know where a psychic is? Yeah, there's one in Endor. <laughs> uh, did they have to think? Did they have to do a Google search? No, not at all. It's right there. It's just why. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. The adulteress. She's there. The adulterer. He's there. The drug dealer. Don't have to try to avoid him, he can just come to you. Now, so many stories from youth groups it just happens all the time. So, watch it. That's my first little bunny trail I wanted to take you down with me. And so, uh, Saul gets to the house, he places his order. Uh, I'd like you to contact a guy I used to know before he died, uh, he's pretty famous. You know, because Samuel, uh, the fortune teller is all, uh, you trying to get me killed? Uh, you know how Saul has enforced the death penalty for this kind of thing. And then he's like a brute beast. You know, Psalm 73 and verse 22 says, you know, I went through a season where I was just like an animal before. You couldn't talk to me. I was just like uh, driven by biological urges and promptings like a dumb animal. And this is what he is. He says, I swear to God that's not going to happen to you. And he invokes the name of the Lord. Oh, don't worry. I'll make sure that that doesn't happen. I promise before the living God, your secret is safe with me. Now, what's going on here? Does she really have the power to conjure up a Bible hero from Hades? Is that really Samuel, or is that a demon impersonating Samuel? First of all, does she really have the power? Is she legit? Most experts and commentators say no. She's not the real deal. She's a fraud. And why would you say she's a fraud? Because she's so surprised when somebody manifests. You know, she cries out at the top of her lungs because clearly she wasn't expecting anything. She was going to make stuff up like she always did. But this time, lo and behold, she sees somebody coming up and she's really freaked out. Now, is it really Samuel? Well, it appears to be a strange and unique kind of appearance, vision. He speaks the truth. And that's why commentators say, it probably is a vision of the legitimate personage of uh, Samuel. Now, what's the best way to think about this? And by the way, we got a vision of Moses and Elijah after they had gone on to Hades. 
is also called paradise. I'll be talking about it a little bit in a, in a moment. It's the righteous side of what was called Sheol in the Hebrew, uh, the place of the departed. And so in Luke, I'm ending up saying it now, in Luke chapter 16, uh, Jesus talks about uh, a rich man who dies and a believer, Lazarus, the key word is Lazarus, means God is my help. Lazarus goes to what is called Abraham's side, or in the uh, Greek, it also means heart or bosom. And so Abraham, being the Old Testament uh, icon for faith, because Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as being right with God. And so it's fitting that the righteous side of Sheol, before Jesus died and rose again and ascended, would be called Abraham's side of comfort because he's the father of faith, those who believe. And so, uh, but the, those who died outside of faith in the Lord before Jesus uh, came and died for our sins, uh, where they were also descended into a place of torment. And you can see this in Luke chapter 16. And uh, they were not, not allowed to cross from one way or the other. Now, when Jesus descends, he descends, he descends into paradise. He calls it paradise. He said to the believing thief, this day, today, you will be in paradise. And we know he doesn't resurrect for it. He goes down into Hades, the righteous side with Abraham and the believing thief. And that's where they are. Now, um, Samuel is in that place. So when it says he comes up from that place, that is where he's coming up. Um, so with that, what's the best way to think about what's happening here? It seems clear to me that God is playing Saul's game. Uh, from the pen of David, Second Samuel chapter 22. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. Clearly, God is dealing shrewdly with a shrewd man to bring him low where he can be saved. He's saying, in my estimation, okay, Saul, you want to play games. You want to hear from Samuel the message that hasn't changed for years and years and years. Here you go. Here's, here's the message. You want a seance? I'll give you a seance uh, that you'll never forget. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. Verse 15, uh, Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why would you consult me if the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and 
you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and night. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, Look, your maidservant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have enough strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. So Saul seeks a psychic who raises Samuel, or so it seems. And number three, who predicts impending doom. That's number three. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't mean it has to come to pass. Ask the Ninevites, speaking of Jonah, just a few moments ago. Here's Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Over and over again, this guy's been chastised by the Lord. And he's been able to, Jonah 3.10, thank you. He's been able to repent. He's had, I guess, 23 years of chastisements and opportunities to repent. And he hasn't taken God up on that. He has a moment right there to fall on his face uh, before God and repent and make some changes. I mean, what, what if after this little seance, he says he takes off, well, his robes are already off, and he, he, he gets up and he sends word for David. David, you are the king. We are going to uh, crown you king tonight or tomorrow morning, and then you will lead us into battle into, with the Philistines. Anything is possible like that. You could have read it. God is working with our free will that he gave us. The story is being written out now, and we are determining that. We don't need to be fatalistic. Well, God often fires warning shots over the bow of our vessel, and, and when we repent, he relents. That's, how it, that's just the good news. So Samuel words, Samuel's words are not very pretty. From 16 to 19, uh, Saul cuts to the chase. He says, you've got to tell me what to do, Samuel. The Philistines are closing in on every side. I'm totally freaked out, and God has given me the silent treatment. So Samuel kind of cuts to the chase, too. He says, if God's opposing you, what's the sense of talking to me? Now, the message hasn't changed, Saul. Just like I told you over and over again in life, God couldn't use you because of your unbelief and your disobedience. He's chosen David over you. And since you're consulting a psychic, here's the future. Tomorrow, Israel goes into battle and loses, and you and your boys will be here with me. Now, it would be nice to be encouraged that he is going to end up ultimately in paradise, but unfortunately, here with me in the region of Sheol, 
since they were together, doesn't necessarily mean they're with him. They have departed life and where they each go. We know Jonathan's in paradise. And we'll meet Jonathan. As to the other two boys, we don't know. And to, to Saul, we don't know. So verse 20, he falls full length on the psychic's living room floor and collapses there. Can you imagine the despair? Um, she goes into a kind of mothering role. You know, he hasn't eaten. But, you know, I don't think it's so much a mothering role as kind of concern to get the comatose king off her living room floor and out of her house. So she's like, listen, I, I'm innocent here. I did what you asked me to do. Now I can see you can barely move. You haven't eaten all day. Let's have a big dinner party, and I want you to eat, and then you'll be revived, and then guess what's next? You'll be going out of my house, King Saul. How did I get myself into this? She's probably wondering. Well, she cooks up a great dinner, and by the way, commentators say, oh, notice she makes a pretty good living. She has a fattened calf and all the supplies right there at hand. She makes good money ripping people off. John Woodhouse said, it was a meal fit for a king. The trouble was it was prepared for a man not fit to be king. Verse 25, they finish up, they eat, they convince him. Uh, they walk out into the cold night air, and it was Saul's last supper. Was Saul's last supper in? Kind of reminds me of Judas. So last supper, he goes out into the night, and he ends up taking his life. There's just a little bit of a parallel there. Now turn to chapter 31. We'll just read all uh, 13 verses, and then we'll be done. I know you want to know how this ends. Chapter 31, verses 1 through 13. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malki Shua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised or these pagan guys are going to come and run me through and abuse me. Uh, By the way, I would just say that the pot is calling the kettle black there by calling them pagans, but go ahead. But his armor bearer was terrified, a young man probably, and he wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword And fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, 
and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the asterisks, that word means goddesses, and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh, um, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. All right, so Saul seeks a psychic who raises Samuel, or so it seems, who predicts impending doom, and the enemy celebrates victory. Well, you know, in sports terms, it's an unforced error, this whole thing. Um, It didn't have to go this way. Here's the sting of missed opportunity and missteps where we don't obey the Lord and walk through the door that uh, he puts before us. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel 13, back in 13, it says, You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Nobody knows how that would have worked. But he said, you know what? I would have made it work. I, I, I could have changed the whole plan if you would have obeyed me. Not that just... What a sting, and it's true of anybody who misses the path and ends up with a wasted life. It didn't have to go that way. We're so hard-headed and so hard-hearted. For me, the most encouraging sign that you may see, Saul, okay, the only sign I see is that after getting that information, he goes into battle. He could have run off, right? He, he's just been told, you and your kids are going to die tomorrow on the field. And there he is going into battle. Commentators say, did he make peace with God? Did he settle in his heart? I'm ready to meet with you. I mean, we don't see that, but I, I, I like to have hope. You know, every guy's got to have a dream, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I would like to see him. But usually where there's a question in the Old Testament, we get a shout out in the New Testament. You know, Lot was a pretty nasty fellow, you know, but we, we know he was right with God because it said he was right with God. Samson as well. Like, what about him? What a philanderer. What a, what a messed up dude, you know? Uh, he's in the hall of faith. But we don't hear anything about this guy. So we'll see. Uh, and now the Israelites retreat. They're routed. The bodies are strewn everywhere. Three of uh, Saul's boys die. Uh, Ishbosheth is going to be a lot of trouble. The one guy that lives, he's going to be a lot of trouble because he wants to inherit Daddy's throne. So we're gonna we're gonna run into some chapters of some bloodshed because not all of them died. And so uh, Warren Wearsby, how often the sins of one bring pain and even death to others. You know, what a tragedy that the three boys die with dad because of dad. Because of dad. Kids often suffer when, you know, moms and dads 
remain obstinate and want to do their own thing. So in verse 3, uh, Saul's critically shot with an arrow. Um, his sons are dead at his feet. The Philistines are approaching. Samuel's words are ringing in his head. So he asks his armor bearer, you know what? I would rather you just just run me through right here, please. Uh, they're going to come. They're going to torture me to death. I just can't stand the thought. Just put me out of my misery. And the guy just looks at him. No way. Can't do it. And so he takes care of it himself. Now, the Philistines find Saul the next day, and they abuse his remains with great joy, and they display his body and armor in the temple of their gods. And we talked about this last time, uh, verses 9 and 10, adding insult to injury. Now, you know, when so-called believers, those who profess to worship God, fall, they give unbelievers cause to blaspheme God's name and embolden people to sin. And now these guys, the Philistines think, hey, Dagon, Dagon is stronger than Jehovah or Yahweh. That's their conclusions. And every time a prominent Christian falls and spins out and falls on a sword and goes sees a psychic or some other immoral thing, the, the blasphemous babble that arises in all the bars around every town in America and perhaps around the world. Just awful. Could you stay strong, number one, for your own sake? You're going to stand before God and he's going to give to everybody according to what they've done in their bodies, both good and bad. You will not... If you're saved, you're not ever going to perish, but you can lose a reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. For the sake of your own eternal soul and reward in heaven, could you just be strong? For the sake of those attached to you, your loved ones, your kids, because when you die, you take somebody with you. For the sake of them... How about for the sake of the name of God, who you represent? You must stay strong for these reasons. That is why God has given us the Holy Spirit. He said, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the, sinful, the desires of the sinful nature. So the story closes with a, a good deed, a daring devotion. Now, these guys, these warriors travel by night 20 miles they have to cross the jordan river these guys from jabesh gilead they say no way we're taking those bodies down and we're gonna give him a burial why because saul's first victory if you go back to chapter 11 was helping the guys at jabesh gilead out of a huge jam the philistines were going to swallow them alive and Saul rallied all of Israel and saved them. And you know what? That's just beautiful. When people remember an obligation, something, a debt to Saul, they respect his office. They may not have respected the person, but they do the right thing. And they come and they take down the bodies. If you go to Israel, we will go and stand at this very hill. They have excavated that very wall. And you just stand there and relive this whole uh, story. 
In verse 12, those guys, those warriors, those good guys, they take possession of the four bodies, they cremate them, and bury the remains. Now, you'll never see in the Bible ever again of anybody being cremated. The biblical model for disposing of human remains is burial or entombment. There is no thou shalt not cremate. And so pastors have, and Christians have very various ideas about where they stand with that. But since the subject comes up here a little bit, I'd just like to say that I think there's grace for both. I don't see a prohibition. Uh, I think burial is the biblical metaphor that God gives us, that we are planted like seed that comes up and is resurrected. I think that whole deal is important. Uh, But I also don't see any prohibition against it. And so I I like to honor people's wishes and give them the grace uh, where there's no thou shalt not. That's uh, take it for what it's worth there. So now uh, let me just give you some uh, closing remarks, reflections from David's rise to blessing and honor and reflections from Saul's downward spiral to shame and dishonor. Just three things, one-liners. Here's, here's what I took away from David's rise to blessing and honor through chapters 1 through 31 of the book. Number one, what's the secret? He trusted God more than he trusted himself. It's a beautiful way of letting God lead him. He's not manipulating things to get what he wants. He's following the Lord. Number two, He loves the Lord above all other things. He's truly a man after God's own heart. You know, ugly parts and all, he loves the Lord. He has a single focus. And thirdly, finally for David, he guards his heart from being bitter, resentment, and vengeance, and hate. Here's a guy who tried to kill him for 10 years, made his life a living hell. Never one word bad against him find it find one sentence where david just lets a little steam out doesn't do it because he just his life is about god not about him and he he guards his heart reflections from saul the key to ruining your life Uh, here are four keys if you're interested number one he was self-centered Saul had an overinflated sense of self-importance. Saul's bumper sticker, it's all about me. (laughs) Number two, he was jealous and insecure and driven by what other people thought about him rather than what God thinks and pleasing God. Number three, he never broke the pattern of unbelief and disobedience. Just never learned how to obey the Lord. Just never got it. And lastly, He was stubborn and hard-hearted, and when chastised by the Lord and given opportunity after opportunity to repent, instead of repenting, he repeated his mistakes and suffered because of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a wonderful book of 1 Samuel. We are happy that by your grace we have finished the book and we 
We look forward to the truths we're going to learn about in 2 Samuel. And, uh, Father, uh, the only thing that matters is that we hear the word and we put it into practice and not just be hearers only. So help us to implement these truths and express them in a way that we live our lives day to day. In Jesus' name, amen.